How can you know that you're really in love? Think about that for a minute. That was a question looming in the air while our typically verbose youth minister was struggling to find some concrete words for such an abstract feeling. As he continued to think of how to respond, I thought about my own encounters, which had not been that many up to that point, uh, about being in love and what it meant to be in love, of getting to that point in a relationship where things are getting serious, serious enough to exchange the I love you's back and forth, right? Maybe that wasn't quite a challenge for you, but it is for a lot of people who take those words seriously. Those words that are declared with some element of risk that they won't be returned. And maybe you've been in that situation. You've said, baby, I love you. And nothing comes back. Or, thank you, as somebody once said to me. <laughs> Kept waiting. What's, what else? Thank you. What, what does that mean? Making such a declaration involves wading through your feelings, your expectations, and separating them from irrational emotions that go along with attraction and with fleeting infatuation. I heard it said once that being in love with someone is when you know that you know. Wow, what does that even mean? I mean, it's really not helpful, especially for guys who are usually driven more by infatuation and hormones than deep feelings of appreciation and adoration of someone else. I don't remember finding our minister's response about falling in love especially helpful either. It certainly wasn't memorable. We all left our group that day with the mystery of love unsolved. And while it is difficult to describe love definitively, and I remember asking uh, my parents this one time when I felt like my heart was breaking over some girl, well, what does it really feel like? And they, too, struggled to find the words to describe it. They, know, they knew what it felt like, but they weren't exactly sure how to completely describe it. But basically, we know love when we see it, right? If anything, it is found more in actions than it ever is in words and in descriptions. And that's certainly true when it comes to God's love. Not only God's love for us, but our love for God. And while we often struggle with defining or describing our relationship and love for God, or even more so, God's love for us, we remember this time of year that God went beyond words of love to actions. God illustrated love for us in such a powerful way that we should never, ever have to wonder about how God feels about us. We do, however, wonder at times, don't we? Maybe recently in your life there was something that took place or happened that made you wonder if God really loved you. You've heard the proclamation of it, you've read it in the Bible, you've heard it from friends, and maybe you've even known it in the past, but you got to a point in your life where you felt it no longer. And we do at times wonder about it. 
The people Isaiah addressed with the words that we've read and that we've heard here this morning. And I encourage you to keep your finger on that page and to keep it open in Isaiah 61, that you could continue to think and to read these words. But they actually had some pretty good reasons for wondering about God's love, captivity, humiliation, physical and economic loss, injustice, and pressures that go along with rebuilding their lives and nation. It kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Those issues that they had while they were in exile really are still our issues today in so many ways. We may not be in exile, but we know all of these things even in our own society. They are on the front page of our papers. They are at the top of the news as it is breaking and coming to us. There are all kinds of signs around us that we have these struggles and these problems. But the God they once knew who had protected them now seemed extremely distant and possibly even non-existent. And it was still hard for them to get beyond their days of exile. Like an orphan who finds it hard to ever forget that feeling of abandonment. The unconditional love they once knew from God now just seemed quite the opposite. That there were some strings attached. That God didn't love them unconditionally. God had loved them once, they reckoned, but obviously no longer did. They couldn't see, they couldn't feel, or experience it in the darkness of their long night of exile. The pain and the suffering of their new circumstances in life must have been God's doing, they came to believe. God was mad at them and was punishing them as a result. Why else would these terrible things be happening to them if they didn't deserve them? Why else would God no longer answer their prayers and save them? And they cried out to this God they were beginning to no longer believe existed. Isaiah, fully aware of their thinking and in a place where God could use him, he would bring a message to counter their conclusions about God's love for them. As he declared about himself, and you could read right along, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you remember hearing those words in the New Testament? If you look in Luke chapter 4, you see that this was Jesus' first sermon. As he was at home in Nazareth, he went over and picked up a scroll and began to read it. And it was this same, uh, the same portion of Scripture from Isaiah. And as Isaiah said these things about himself, Jesus said that they were true of him as well. He was God's messenger, this Isaiah, that, that God had not forgotten them and was already at work in their circumstances, providing comfort right in the midst of their present pain. And note the present tense words that are here, but don't circle them in your brand new pew Bibles. But words like, is upon me. Isaiah was not speaking just of something in the future. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is 
upon me right now, today, in the midst of all of this, and has sent, has clothed me with garments of salvation, and has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Again, all of this was something he already knew existed, that God had already provided for him in the present circumstances. But Isaiah was also God's messenger that God's love for them would continue into their future. It was something that was coming to them as a promise for days ahead. And so Isaiah shifts his words from being about the present to the future. Note again here in the scripture of how they will be called oaks of righteousness. They shall build up. They shall raise up. They shall repair that God will faithfully give them their recompense, will make an everlasting covenant with them, and shall be known among the nations. Do you hear all of those words of the future? They were to know that God's love for them was no fleeting infatuation. It was no shallow crush that God had for them at one particular time. It was no one-night stand. It was everlasting. Everlasting hope, peace, and love that God had for them. Like committed lovers who still need to hear and I love you before departing for the day as assurance for the future when they get back together. So Judah needed assurance that they could live on for years to come. To hear once again that I love you from their God. And so God gave it. And so God showed it. A love expressed is a powerful thing, isn't it? That point in a relationship, whether it's in a family relationship or uh, a friendship or a romantic relationship, whatever it may be, when you get to that point, when you hear those words, I love you, but even more so, when you know it because someone has demonstrated it to you. I was reminded of this through uh, various art this past week, especially in two Broadway plays that Jenny and I went to. In the first one, in uh, I guess our favorite, Wicked, love champions over hate through the unlikely alphaba, touching the hearts of or touching the heart of the Wizard of Oz and the hearts of people around her. People around her who loved only themselves. It's hard to love someone who's green, isn't it? (laughs) And yet she had such a big heart and such compassion and awareness of other people around her. People who didn't feel the same about her. She, through the power of love and action, she changed them for good. It's a powerful storyline. As Glinda reflects in a song to Alphaba, she says, but I, know I'm, I, I, but I know I'm who I am today because I knew you. Like a comet pulled from orbit as it passes the sun, like a stream that meets a boulder halfway through the wood. Who can say if I've been changed for the better? But because I knew you, I have been changed for the good. 
Then in Les Miserables, Love wins as well, as it is demonstrated so powerfully in the grace offered by a priest for the sins of Jean Valjean, in a people's sacrifice for other people's liberty, and in the promise of Jean Valjean to protect forever the child of an oppressed and dying mother. The words of the play, which uh, are of course written by Victor Hugo, point to the power of love. Like when it is said, to love or have loved, that is enough. Ask nothing further. There is no other pearl to be found in the dark folds of life. The power of this love was expressed most succinctly by the words at the end of the play. To love another person is to see the face of God. There is much grace and mercy displayed in that play. Certainly, much love in the face of God. The supremacy of love over hate, indifference, evil, and anything else in all of creation is a message that is so prevalent in our culture, so prevalent in our stories, in our paintings, and in our languages and our songs. One of the things that we were looking at was some art in the uh, Modern Art Museum. And to look at the different colors that were used, especially by those who painted during World War I. And to look at the different colors and the shift in colors as they would go from bright and then to dark. And then as you would see the different hues of yellow, like in a a Van Gogh painting where he is finding and experiencing in the midst of the chaos of the world and the futility of war and in the midst of his own depression. And I guess the weirdness of cutting off his ear. That there were some lights, some bright lights that were beginning to shine for him. It's in our songs as well, isn't it? This love. In fact, that is the language of love, is it not? The universal language would be our music. But it is, however, not just a muse for playwrights or a canvas for artists, a word for our dictionaries, or lyrics for our songwriters. Love is most profound and real when it is in action. God, who is love, the greatest equation you'll find in the Bible, God equals love. It defines the reality of love in just that way. It is about action. On the third Sunday of Advent, we can know that God loves us with action. A look through the Pew Bibles that we dedicated today will show demonstrations of God's love for you from cover to cover. If you don't believe me, I challenge you to, again, don't take it home with you, but while you're here in the midst of a boring sermon, flip through and read about God's love for you. In them, we see that the love God has for us is not a matter of chit-chat or small talk or double-speak, wishful thinking or unfulfilled promises. It's not that at all. Even though we can refer to the Bible as our love letter from God, words that we desperately need to hear and to read, we must know that they are words that God has put into action. 
God didn't just tell us that He loved us. He entered our world to show us. God didn't just use flowery adjectives to describe His feelings for us. He became a verb and lived a while among us, inserted right into our fragmented lives to make us complete. You and I can experience this love in our present pain. I don't know what pain you may be going through right now, but I I can imagine that you have some. We all have pain. Some pain that we choose to allow others to see and some that we hide deep within us. Some that we know what to do with and other pains that come along that we are completely clueless about, seeing no way to provide any relief. But this love comes to us like Isaiah to his people as good news when we are oppressed as healing when our hearts are brokenhearted, freedom when we are in captivity, jubilee when we are in over our heads with debt. And guess what? This year on the Jewish calendar, this is the jubilee year. And again, I invite you to look in your Bibles to find out what that's all about and to experience the freedom and the understanding of what that meant for them and what it could mean for you today as well. But also justice when we are robbed and comfort when we mourn, as we do more strongly this time of year, it seems, than any other time. This love is an active verb arriving to you as a garland instead of ashes, gladness instead of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Reconstruction, where there is destruction. And with the clothing of salvation for the nakedness of your condition. And if we aren't sure about our future, of how God will respond to us there, then we must spend some more time counting the shalls and the wills of this scripture. As Mary Mother of Jesus sang so beautifully in her Magnificat, as, as we refer to it there in the Gospel of Luke. God's actions of love for the world are kept a kept promise. One rooted in our past, one that is born into our present, and one that is out there awaiting us in our future. And we can't help but rejoice with Mary. As love enters our world, she couldn't keep it quiet. And if you really think about it, and you really allow it to enter into your heart today, then you too will be unable to keep the song from coming deep from within you. God loves you. The words of the Christmas carol, Silent Night, which we will sing, I'm sure, on Christmas Eve. These words express the actions of the arrival of this one who loves us so well. Of one who spent his life in the action of love. Silent Night, Holy Night, Son of God, loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn 
of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Jesus, Lord at thy birth.